Thanks a lot for checking out the Church on the Rock message this week. We would love to help you get closer to God. The best way to do that is to visit cotr.org connect. Or if you are not near our physical campus, visit our online community at cotr.org online. Enjoy the message and know that God is for you. God bless everybody. Woo. Florida says hello. I told Pastor it's 83 today in Florida. That always gets a big response. Yeah, I'm in Lakeland, Florida, right in the middle of the state where all the rednecks live. That's cowboys. We are the ninth leading cattle producing state in America. We got cattle everywhere down there. And you can smell them. She said, what do you smell? I smell money. <laughs> so uh, Angel says hello. She's normally with me when I come here. But uh, she's about to be a grandmother in two weeks. And she's excited. <laughs> this will be her first. And she is beside herself. Her daughter's a petite little thing. Weighs every bit of 95 pounds. And a short little thing. And real smart. Got her master's a few years ago. She teaches. She married a guy that's six foot four. They're an odd looking couple. <laughs> People say, is this your daughter? Oh, this is my wife. Me and my daughter, no. And so uh, this is her, her first grandbaby. And so uh, it's a wild time around my house. And so, but, but, I'm about to be a grandfather again. My son is expecting twins. And... Uh, <laughs> We had twins in our family, but they never showed up. So my son's having twins, and he's got a daughter, but he's having twins. He's having a boy and a girl. And so for the first time in decades, we're finally going to have another male child in the McGee household. <laughs> because all, all my daughters married nice young men, but they're dropping babies like rainwater, and there are a lot of males in it, but there's no McGees in the bunch. And so John calls the dad, you're not going to believe it. We're having twins in the One's a male. I said, well, that's awesome. Dad, I'm going to name him after you. And it uh, make me cry if I think about it. And so, well, son, I'm proud of you. And so, um, so anyhow, we are repopulating the earth. <laughs> I've had people challenge me before. Don't you think it's wrong to have so many kids? I said, no. When I was a school administrator 40-plus years ago, I had a senior that liked me a lot and uh, but he didn't like it that I had so many kids. And Mr. Guy, I really enjoy you, I like you, but I don't think it's right you have this many kids. I said, why? Well, we're running out of everything. We're running out of ozone, food, gasoline, land, not enough land, too many people. I said, really, well, why don't you do me a paper on it? And so it was a senior class. They had to do a, a called Biblical Worldview, and they had to pick a subject and study it for nine weeks. Then they get it from the student body and share for three minutes about their subject. So, well, do, a, do me a, a paper on overpopulation. You seem to believe it, just do me a paper on it. So when he did, he got up nine weeks later, and he said, well, my paper's on overpopulation, and you probably heard me talk about it quite a bit. He said, I really like Mr. McGee, but he's got too many kids because they're running out of stuff. So, so I did this paper, and what I realized was I was wrong. He said, every person on this planet, every person in China, Russia, California, Texas, Every human on this planet will fit inside the Jacksonville, Florida city limits. I'm not making this up. You can Google it. 
Now, Jacksonville, Florida is one of the largest cities geographically in the United States. It takes forever to drive through there. But every, you give every human three square feet, every human on this planet will fit inside Jacksonville. Which means you, you can have this state all to yourself. Missouri, who's that? Just me. I got the whole state of Missouri all to myself. You can have California. There'll be nobody there. They're all in Jacksonville. Now, the point of that is, there's at least a thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus on this existing planet. And, and Jesus hadn't come back yet. He's going to come back, be the seven years, and we'll come back ruling around with him for a thousand years. Babies will still be born. We're not running out of anything. Now, sin's killing the planet. We know that. Destroying stuff, killing stuff. But we're not running. God's not in heaven to ring in his hands and say, oh, we're running out. No, we're not. So don't panic. And I have people challenged about the last days. Mr. Key, this is a good time to get married. There's never been a better time to get married than now. Mr. Key, you think this is a good time to have a baby? Never been a better time to have a baby. This is what we call the, the last days. And my Bible says in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And our sons and daughters will prophesy, dream dreams, have visions. It is the single greatest day of human history. God's moving like a freight train. Well, why so much hell on the Well, it's because Satan's in charge. When Adam sinned, he turned this place over to the devil. And since that time, Satan's been in charge of this planet. The Bible says he steals, he kills, he destroys, John 10, 10. Well, he's not my God. I was taken out of his kingdom, placed the kingdom of God's dear son. I'm in a different kingdom. I'm behind enemy lines, but I'm in a different kingdom. My job is to storm the gates of hell. Every day you get up, what are you looking for? Looking for some hell today. I'm looking for some hell to whip. I'm in a hell whipping mode. <laughs> I want to find a hungry person to feed, an orphan to help, a widow to help, somebody thirsty to give them water. I want to visit somebody in prison. I am the light and the salt of this planet. Amen. I am the body of Christ. I am what's happening. So for whatever reason, God has chose to allow us to be alive in the greatest day of human history. So watch what you feed on. I tell my kids all the time, Guard your heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. And so don't get caught up thinking stupid, watching stupid, singing stupid. Sing yourself in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Watch what you sing. Watch what you watch. Watch what you read. And uh, don't, don't, don't feed on stupid. Feed on good things. So that's just an introduction. <laughs> now, uh, I'm teaching on marriage because I love the subject of marriage because uh, marriage is the second greatest thing God ever did. Uh, greatest thing, he sent his son Jesus down to us, raised him from the dead. He's at the right hand of the Father praying for me right now. I got it made. There's so many angels, the Bible says the angels are innumerable. That means you cannot count them. You can count the sand on the seashore, and that's a crazy number, I'm sure. You can count the stars in heaven, but you cannot count the angels. The Bible says the number of angels is innumerable. You can't count them, there's too many. What do they do? They're servants of the most high people of God. They work for us. How many angels you got? Too many to count. Well, I just need one. No, I'll take a whole bunch of them. I like them. They camp around about me everywhere I go. They're around about my kids everywhere they go. They're here to protect us. And so uh, we've got it made. We live in the greatest day of history. So you got to watch what you feed on. So this is the odd scripture I'm going to give. It's out of Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Um, it's on marriage. People say, it's not on marriage. Yeah, it is. Nebuchadnezzar was king of the world. He had taken over everything, invaded 
Israel and taking people captive and taking them back. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know the story. And so uh, he's taken over. And so he's got these young boys from the leading families of Israel, brought them back to Babylon. He's got them in the prison. And he's going to send them to school for three years. He's going to teach them the Chaldean religion, Chaldean language, Chaldean history. Uh, and he's going to, after three years, they're going to graduate. Then he's going to send them back to rule in Jerusalem on his behalf. And that's how he conquered the world. And so what this is, is a little conversation when old Nebuchadnezzar is going to send his head guy down to the prison. He's looking for certain character traits. I thought, well, that's not going to do with marriage. No. When you get married, you better be looking for something. You're going to get something stupid. We look, well, I'm just lonely. I want to get married. Well, buy you a dog. Get a cat. I don't like cats. They're better than nothing. <coughs> buy you a mouse. But don't get married. That's, well, that's horrible. And I've got a very big family. And my dad had 12 brothers and sisters, so did my father law And I'm the only preaching the bunch. So I had a big family. And I've seen more stupidity than you can imagine. Stupid married stupid. Reproduce stupid. A lot of stupid. And then they come to you for help. Praise God. So, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I have not left the King James. I still study the King James. I just don't speak King James. So I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I'm going to jump in here in uh, verse 3. Uh, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and them from other noble families who have been brought to Babylon as captives. Here's where he's going to start. He said, select only strong young men. Now, you've got to look up the Hebrew word for it. He meant mentally strong. I don't want to go down to prison and find some guy rocking back and forth, crying, asking for his mother, with green snot running out of his nose. I don't want him. I want some guy that I've killed his family, burnt down his house, killed his pet goat, and made him a slave. I want him that's pacing back and forth in prison like if you turn your back on him, he's going to kill you dead. I want people with an attitude. When you get married, you don't want to marry somebody nice. <laughs> I've done this for decades, people. You marry somebody nice, it's going to get ugly because nobody's nice. They've got you fooled. Yeah, you go on a date, you're always dressed up, smelling good, talking good. You get married, hell's coming. And they say, well, what happened? Well, you married a doofus. But there's no problem because you're a doofus, because doofuses marry doofuses. And that's how God's got it set up. God tricks you into marriage. Everybody comes, Mr. I'm so in love. No, you're blind as a bat and dumber than dirt. You're not in love. You, trust me. You give about two weeks after that marriage. Thing. What have I done? Well, you married somebody just like you. Because the Bible says, like kind draws like kind. So he said, so he said he's going to, I want you to find young men who display these traits. So the first one's strong and mentally. I want some mentally strong men. They're, they got an attitude. They're just, you can just tell they got an attitude. And so when you get married, you don't want to marry somebody nice. You want, some, you want to marry somebody that's already got some plans. You're, you're, not, you're not their savior. Jesus is your savior, not some spouse. Because you try to make your spouse your savior, you're going to be incredibly disappointed. Jesus needs to stay in his number one position. He can't handle number two. Don't ever put your spouse in number one. I made the most wonderful person. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Give it some more time. You'll find out. But what you want to marry is a strong person. I want somebody that's strong. I mean, mentally strong. Number two, 
healthy. Now the word, uh, this is from the New Living Translation, the word healthy, it actually means aggressive. <laughs> aggressive. What do you want? You need to marry an aggressive person. I don't want a sissified person. What do you want to do? Nothing. Where do you want to go? No hair. What do you want to watch? I don't care. No, we don't want that. No, go buy your dog. You don't want that. <laughs> you want to marry somebody that's got an attitude, they, they know what they want, and they're going after it. That's who you want to marry. Ooh, it's going to get quiet here. It's about to get quieter. Number three, you want to marry good-looking people. Now, I'm, this one threw me for several months. I thought, well, you, no, no ugly people allowed? What is that? No, what he meant was well-groomed. Well-groomed. Somebody's had a bath. <laughs> they brushed their teeth, used dental floss, got some underarm on. The room doesn't smell after they leave. If it does, it smells nice. Well-groomed. You, I used to tell the men in our men's retreats, gentlemen, you can bathe twice a day. It, it's okay. We're not running out of water. <laughs> I had this lady in the marriage somewhere in San Antonio. Mr. McGee, she came in. Mr. McGee, you're going to talk about hygiene? Yes, ma'am. It's in the last session we talk about sex. Well, I appreciate it. I married a wonderful man. He's such a nice guy, but he's so nasty. He's nasty. He comes to bed so nasty. And so... A chapter in our book called You Don't Find a Great Marriage, You Build One. Chapter 7 is called Wash Your Nasty Self. <laughs> when you get out of bed in the morning, there shouldn't be brown streaks on the sheets. <laughs> I'm not trying to be gross. I'm trying to help you out. Wash your nasty self. Because spouses get in trouble. I don't know how to tell them. Well, tell them you're nasty. Wash your nasty self. I tell gentlemen in our ministry, before you go to bed at night, you go shower and shave, put on underarm, brush your teeth, dental floss, comb your hair. I mean, you've got to act like you're going to say, well, who, I'm just going to bed. No, you're going to crawl into bed next to the second most important person in your life. It shouldn't look like a camel died where you've been sleeping when you get up in the morning. <laughs> okay. I'm talking about marriage. Why should nasty self? Number four, well-versed in every branch of learning. And what does this mean? It means be good at something. You don't have to be good at everything, but be good at something. What are you good at? I don't know. Well, get good at something. And uh, when I was a school administrator, I gave three tests every year the first week of school. Uh, discover your God-given gifts, uh, the unemployment test, and uh, an academic skills test. I'm trying to help those students find out what they're good at. Because <clears throat> you put them in school, I'm trying to be good at English and algebra and science. No, you're not good at all that. You, you're going to mess up most of that. What's the one thing you're good at? The, Paul said, Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds New Testament. My gift will make room for me. Everybody's gifted. Everybody's gifted or God lied. Everybody has a gift. Your gift will make room for you, bring you before kings and make you wealthy. Well, when you get married, you're going to marry somebody that's got a gift. That's not your gift. What you're good at, they're not good at. That's called God being nice to you. There's a bumper sticker in Texas that says, when two people are just alike, one of you's not needed. That'll sink in about lunchtime. Because people, they come and say, I made somebody just like me. No, you didn't. They're not like you at all. No, 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 no. And so what you want to do is understand everybody's gifted. So find out what you're good at and get real good at it. Do it every day. Get better at it because somebody's born every day. And eventually you'll get passed up. Uh, when I worked in, in plants, I worked for three different wire plants, four years each, back when I was working as an engineer. I came up blue collar. I know what that's about. And so I went back to night school for seven years, become an engineer. 
But these are the guys blue collar. They didn't want to learn anything new. And we were, industry was changing. We're, we're using lasers on the assembly line now to measure and run it faster. Instead of 1,000 feet a minute, we go 4,000 feet a minute. We've got a laser to put the right coating on. Well, they didn't want to learn how to use the laser. And I would tell you, you've got to learn how to, we'll give you a class. There's going to be a class this week, and we'll teach you how to do this. I'm not going to learn that stupid thing. Well, if you don't learn this, I'll have to fire you and hire somebody right out of high school that knows how to use it. Don't get stubborn and refuse to learn something new. I don't care how long, I don't care how long you've been married, your spouse is going to change. Now, that's a revelation to some people. Oh, they're not. Yes, they are. It's a new world every day you wake up. I tell the story all the time. I, I took my wife to a seafood restaurant for the first 30 years of our marriage because that's what my dad did. He took my mom to a seafood restaurant on their anniversary. I thought, that's what you do. Because I grew up in Tennessee, there's no seafood in Tennessee. Yet I look hard to find a nice restaurant. So for 30 years, I've taken my wife to seafood restaurant because I love seafood. We're down in Melbourne, Florida at a really nice five-star restaurant. Four of my kids were with me. I flew the other two down from college. All eight of us in a private room. Five-star seafood restaurant. I noticed my wife's not eating. I said, honey, is there something wrong with your food? And she said, Joe, is this a nice restaurant? Maybe this is a five-star restaurant. It took some time to get in here. There's something wrong? She said, I just realized something. I said, what? She said, I don't like seafood. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I said, baby, you've been eating it for 30 years. Well, I just figured you never could find a good seafood restaurant. Well, this is a good one. I don't like seafood. I've never liked it. And my kids are staring at me. Good Lord, Daddy, you teach on marriage. <laughs> I got a whole new chapter coming out. So, and I put it in the book. I learned my wife liked beef. So for the rest of our married life, we ate steak every anniversary. She likes some beef, nice beef. So 30 years, 30 years. I know her. No, you don't. 30 years. I know him. No, you don't. No, you don't. I used to tell couples, you need to sit down once a week for about 30 minutes, get you a cup of coffee or some hot tea, and sit down and just stare at each other for 30 minutes. Hey, anything new going on? So I kept a list. Hey, what do you think about uh, the job? Do you like the job? No. Do you like where we live? No. You don't? No. Well, you never say anything. You never ask. <laughs> do you like how it's going? And you find out, if you ask questions, they'll, get, they'll tell you the truth. But you've got to ask. Well, men, ladies, men don't ask nothing. We don't like to ask questions. We've got enough on our mind as it is. I don't want to know anything new. That's why God made women. Now, I know you know this, that the average man speaks 12,000 words a day. The average woman speaks 40,000 words a day. That's why in all domestic violence, 84% of the time, it's a man hitting a woman, not a woman hitting a man. What happened? He ran out of words. <laughs> so I tell women all the time, don't talk to him late at night. Get his mouth, his belly full of food, and get him in bed. You can talk to him in the morning. He'll have a fresh supply of words in the morning. Talk to him in the morning, not late at night. You're laughing. I'm being very truthful. Oh, Lord. Uh, number five, gifted with knowledge. That means it's kind of a take on the last thing. Get real good at something. Gifted with knowledge. What are you good at? Well, get better at it. If you're a welder, then learn the latest technique, the latest equipment being used. You're an electrician, learn the latest wires being produced, how it's done. Learn something new. Uh, one thing my dad taught me, he was an electrician, the industry was changing, so we would go late at night sometimes to our competitor's store, and we would stare in the window. I said, Dad, what are we doing? 
Look at what, what kind of equipment they've got. What kind of ladders do they use? What kind of equipment? Because this is a real good company. They're better than us, so we would learn from the best. And so I learned that as an engineer. We'd go visit our competitors about every six months. We would take them to lunch. We'd take them to dinner. And we'd ask a lot of questions because people love to talk about themselves. Everybody loves to talk about themselves. Don't get with a, somebody and start talking about yourself. They don't want to know what you're doing. They can care less. They, they let you know how they're doing. Lesson is this. Uh, last two. Number six, common sense. Common sense. There's a shortage of common sense. A lot of education today, not so much common sense. Uh, I grew up on a farm. Uh, I didn't eat at a restaurant until my senior in high school. Uh, we had about 12 milk cows. We had hogs. Uh, we had 400 acres. Uh, we milked those cows twice a day. Uh, we had to go collect eggs out of the hen house, snake-infested place. Uh, my grandfather had the same words for everything. Go get the eggs this morning. Don't get snake bit. Because those copperheads are crawling under the hen late at night when they get cold. They're crawling under the hen to get warm. And so when you stick your hand under there, don't get snake bit. And so we go pick uh, uh, blackberries on the side of the road, and, and they'd wrap little cloth around this soaked in kerosene to keep the ticks from crawling up our leg. And grandma's dead. Now we're going to collect uh, blueberries and blackberries. Don't get snake bit. And then we go down and collect salamanders in the creek to go trout fish. Don't get snake bit. My whole life, I was trying not to get snake bit. <laughs> but it's a good thing to do. Be mindful. Be watchful. Pay attention. Don't just go bloop, 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 bloop. You know, think about stuff. So have some common sense about you. Ask a lot of questions. The people today, just, they don't ask enough questions. We need to ask more. And the last is, suited to serve in the palace. Uh, I like to think about Daniel. He's, he's gone through three years of school, getting ready to be sent back to Israel to rule and reign on Nebuchadnezzar's behalf. So he's about to graduate. He's done good. And so he's down at the palace, and he's walking through, and somebody says, hey, take this bowl of soup to the king. Well, he didn't know anything about that. He's never done that. But somebody just grabbed it. Hey, you're one of these servant kids. Grab the, take the bowl of soup to the king. So imagine Daniel walking through the palace. Where's he at? Well, he's in the big room down there, sitting on that big chair. So I imagine Daniel taking this big hot bowl of soup to the king, trying to be real careful. And right before he gets to the king, he stubs his toe. He dumps a hot bowl of soup right onto the king's lap. Well, the king jumps up and slaps his nose around next to his ear. Now, do you slap the king back? Because if you do, your head's going to be on the wall at sundown. No, you say, I'm parking, I'll get you know, well, who? You have to learn how to handle things of life that are not going to go like you think. Every day you get up, it's not going to go like you think. Every day. That's why, Lord, you order my steps, you direct my path, you guide them all truth, you show me things to come. Help me leave everybody better than I find them. Oh, that's deep. What do you want? I want to leave everybody better than I find them. And so those seven things work for marriage. You got to treat your spouse like a king or a queen. Now, I've shared this so many times, but when I married Angel, man, Angel, she's a gift from God. And so I told my wife, I, I love you. And so I'm going to do different this marriage. I'm going to completely different. And so, uh, and I did. And so I say this, I'm not bragging, I'm saying this. Uh, I've never bought a car, never bought a house. Uh, she bought both homes that we lived in, two cars we had. I've never picked a restaurant, I've never picked a vacation. I don't pick nothing. I let Angel pick. Why? Well, because a wedding's a funeral. Hallmark's got the cards all wrong. It should say, I'm so sorry I heard you die. 
Because if you don't die at that ceremony, you're a half-dead zombie. Because a marriage is a covenant. You can't have a covenant unless somebody dies. So when you get married, you're sworn before God and witness from this day forward, I'm living for this individual right here. For the rest of my life, I want to make her life better. That's my goal every day. Now, I'm not perfect. I'll mess up. And I told days when I first got married, honey, I'm going to make mistakes. I don't know what you think or who you think I am. I teach on family. I've taught a long time. But I'm not perfect. I'm going to mess up. But I promise you, when I do, I'll be the first to repent and the first to forgive. I'm going to get back up quick. So we've had, I think, five in our six years of marriage, we've had five major blow-ups. <laughs> it was not good. And when Angel gets mad, she never yells. She just gets quiet, and that's not good. And so when Angel gets real mad, she'll throw her hand up. <laughs> that means you go to your office. And, and I learned early. I learned the first time, because I tried to talk first time. Then you go, all right, babe, I'll be in my office if you need me. And, I go in, and usually within 30 minutes, within 30 minutes every time, Angel will come in and apologize. Well, Joel, I'm sorry, I lost my temper. No, baby, you didn't. You're fine. Come here, give me a kiss. Come here. Come here, I'll hug you, give you a kiss. I do that every time because I've been married before. There are no perfect humans on this planet. A lot of people that fall down and get back up. The Bible says the righteous fall seven times a day, they get back up. We're not the perfect people. We're the getting back up people. So don't get arrogant. Don't get proud. We'll keep your mouth shut. You got two ears and one mouth, not two mouths and one ear. That was deep. So this is a sermon, it's only five minutes long. That was just the introduction. I call, this is, this is out of my marriage seminar. It's called Somebody Talk To Me. All wars start with words. All divorces start with words. All marriages start with words. All peace agreements start Life and death are in the power of the tongue. The hardest thing for couples to learn is keep your mouth shut. Just smile real big and nod your head. So this is called, I will think before I speak. Proverbs 15, verse 2. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge correctly, but the mouth of a fool pours out foolishness. There's four kinds of people in Proverbs 1. Wise, simple, foolish, and scornful. Wise people live a long time. They're filthy, stinking rich. They scale the wall of a city. Nothing but good happens to wise people. Proverbs Psalm, nothing but good. Nothing bad ever happens to a wise person. The other three, nothing good happens. Simple-minded, foolish, scornful, nothing good happens to them. So you want to be wise and stay there. Oh, that's good. How do you do that? Well, the fear of God's the beginning of wisdom. So every day I pray, Father, I give you permission. Today, teach angel I and our children, our grandchildren, teach us to fear you for the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When I lay my head down tonight in Lakeland, Florida, before I go to sleep, it'll be about 1.30 before I go to sleep tonight. I will pray the last words out of it, Father, I give you permission. Teach me and my family to fear you for the fear of God's the beginning of wisdom. With that wisdom, Proverbs 3.16, comes long life, Riches and honor. What do you want? Long life, riches and honor. How do you get it? You need to fear God. The fear of God is the doorway to everything. The interest to everything. So you got to fear God. Uh, Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Proverbs 18, 3. He that answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and a shame to him. Don't try to, men are bad about this, ladies. We try to guess what you're thinking and try to tell you. And I've had my wife, Joe, shut up, let me finish. Well, I know what you're going to say. No, you don't. Shut up, let me finish. And usually most of the time, I didn't know what they were going to say. I learned the hard way. Stay quiet, stay quiet. Proverbs 12, 18. There's one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Oh, that's good. James 3, 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. 
it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Where does hell come from? Your mouth. How did I get hell in my life? Came out of your mouth. Life and death, the power of the tongue. Hell came through your mouth. The devil cannot get in my life except through my mouth. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm rich. Call those things that be not as though they are. Most people are in the mess they've made with their own mouth. They can't control their own mouth. Shut your yap. Just uh, first time I learned this, it was so hard. My wife would get mad at me. We went to this big seminar down in Atlanta, and I'm trying. And she'd ask me, what are you thinking? <laughs> Nothing. You got to be thinking something. No. What are you thinking about? You don't want to know. What? Yeah, it's not good. Well, tell me. No, you don't want to know. And she'd pry it out of me. Not sleep on the couch for three nights. <laughs> and really, I learned the hard way. Keep your mouth shut. What are you thinking? Not a thing. I'm not thinking nothing. Praise God. <laughs> James 3, 10, out of the same mouth come praise and curses. Brother, this should not be. Romans 2, 1, message translation. I love this. Romans 2, 1. Every time you judge somebody, you condemn yourself, for it takes one to know one. Judgmental criticisms of others is a well-known way of escaping detections in your own crimes. Now, I've learned this on church staff and business staff. People in the staffing always yap about something. Mark them. Why are they always upset about that? Why are they always upset about that? Because it's what they're guilty of. People that are guilty of something will accuse others of it. I will say that very slow. People that are guilty of something will accuse it in their spouse, in their children, in their staff. Be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to wrath. Try to be a problem solver. Matthew 5, 9, she said this, blessed are the peacemakers, they should be called the children of God. One translation says Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the problem solvers. They'll be called the children of God. Your job and my job as Christians on this planet is to solve problems. People hire you not because you needed a job. They hired you to fix something. So go there and fix it and fix it well. I remember I went, down, I went into a boss and the, I told him, so-and-so, we got a problem out here. And he said, what do you want me to do about it? Well, I thought you wanted to know. Well, that's why I hired you, son. You need to go do your job. Yes, I'll be back. And so I came back later that afternoon. I said, well, what'd you do? Well, I think I fixed it. What'd you do? Well, I did this. Is it working right now? And I've gone before and I've said, we've got a problem, but here's what I think we need to do. Now, I would share something. He said, that won't work. Okay, I'll be back with another idea in just a minute. I go get another idea. Don't ever go to somebody upline with a problem unless you have a solution. I will say that very slow. Don't ever go to somebody upline with a problem unless you have a solution. They hired you to fix something, not be a problem maker and a, and a trouble talker, you know. So always be a problem solver. Oh, that was good. I like this, Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but let which ministers grace to the hearer. So when I talk to Angel, I think, really, I do. I used to not think a lot, but I do think a lot now. I'm getting ready to say something. I speak very slow. And she'll look at me. And she'll ask them, what are you doing? Just thinking. Well, here's what I'm going to say. I think before I talk. Because usually I just let my mouth run. And that was not good. That, that would, she would get upset and stuff like, what did I say? Well, I'm just letting my mouth run. It bypassed my brain. It just came out of my mouth. It went straight to my mouth, bypassed my brain. It just came out. And I realized, it needs to go through my brain. I need to filter that next time I say something. And so be slow to speak, <laughs> quick to hear. Oh, that got somebody. 
I like this, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. For he that would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and see that his lips speak no guile. Uh, I'll give you one more. This is, uh, this is old. Um, Proverbs eleven twenty two: like a gold ring and a pig's nose is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. When you start opening your mouth, you're going you're gonna to leave any doubt. So when I talk about married couples, I said, listen, you need to talk. That's how you solve problems. You need to talk and communicate with one another. But you've got to do it slowly. And so don't ever raise your voice to your spouse. What? Now my kids would nail me because I taught them parenting so long they went to all my seminars. I said, Dad, you're not in control. What are you talking about? You're raising your voice. You said when you raise your voice, you're not in control. Well, I know what I'm saying. No, you're not, Dad. You're out of control. And everybody knows it except you. Okay, I'll be back. <laughs> and I had to learn to speak slow and speak soft with my children, with my grandchildren. Now, my grandkids love me because they think I'm Santa Claus. Speak slow, speak soft. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to solve a problem. So when I was... Uh, when I was, years ago when I had all those kids, um, I hated the breakfast table. <laughs> My wife would always get breakfast better than I before. There's a lot of us, but most we ate a lot of cereal. Now, cereal allowance at grocery stores is the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> when I grew up, we had a country store, a Nixon's country store. We had three kinds of cereal, cornflakes, Cheerios, and oatmeal. And the cornflakes weren't even in a box. They were just in a plastic thing. And so now there's a whole aisle, the valley of the shadow of cereal death. You try to get six kids through that aisle, you can't. Something's going to happen. Something's going to rub. It's not going to go good. So I get mad, and I tell them, we get out. Got the big suburban. Okay, we go in today, one box of cereal. You pick one box. Get together and pick one box. Well, they can't. There's six kids. They don't, they don't throw in special cereal. So I come by, where you got, and they all had their own $5 box. No, put it back. Get the oatmeal. Get the oatmeal. And so... Uh, and so we pull up. We bought groceries every two weeks. I pull up in the parking lot. My wife's Joe, what are we doing about cereal? We're going to eat oatmeal until Jesus comes. I like it anyhow. No, you're supposed to be teaching them parenting. Teach them how to fix this problem. Okay, anybody got any paper back there? Get a piece of paper, tear it up in six pieces. Put your name on each piece. You got an empty cup back there because we got all kinds of stuff. And so got an empty cup, fold it up for a second. Pick a name out. Corey was first. I think uh, John was number six. John said, what's that mean? You're not eating Cocoa Puffs for six weeks. That's what it means. <laughs> Corey gets to pick the cereal. And so Corey liked Cheerios, not Honey Nut, just stick your finger in your throat, Cheerios, plain old skanky Cheerios. So she's squeezing the box. We're checking out the checkout line. Two of my younger girls are crying. What's wrong with you? We don't like Cheerios. Me neither. Why don't you fast for a week? Maybe we can stretch this box for two weeks. Or maybe you'd like to use your faith and choke these skanky things down because the sooner they're gone, the sooner we get to Apple Jacks. And so... The next day, everybody's got their cereal, and we're eating the Cheerios, you know, and it's going pretty good. Here comes John. I have a male child. The first male child I have, my youngest. John's come to the tell, and he's got a big Tupperware bowl. He's kind of got a, and Moss, John, what are you doing? What are you doing? Leave him alone. We've got a male child. We're doing something. So he set that big Tupperware bowl down on the kitchen table. He poured a third of a box of Cheerios in there, like, <laughs> poured about a fourth of a gallon of milk. I thought, my God, I got me a male child. Got me a male child. Get this done, son. And he's eating away, so we all got to yapping, talking. Time to go to school. Load up, got to go. Kiss my wife by. I'm going out the door, and I saw the corner of my eye. 
John's Tupperware bowl is still full of cereal. I thought, you lying thumb sucker. I told my wife, you put a lid on that, you put that in the fridge, don't you? No, I'll pre-soak pre a bowl nuts. You put that back in the fridge, you're gonna eat every one of those. Well, I forgot about it, because I got busy that day. We go home, come to the breakfast table the next morning. Here comes John with another empty Tupperware bowl. Oh, no, hey, son, we got yours already. Here, put that back. So I go to the refrigerator and I get that. I set that bowl that's been in the refrigerator with a lid on it, Tupperware, remember Tupperware? And I sit down in front of him and I pop that lid. It looks like somebody's puked in that bowl. Those chairs are swollen and got skanky. I said, now, son, I recommend you eat them today. They're going to be worse tomorrow. And you're going to eat every stinking one of them. So he's trying to choke them down. He's spitting on himself, blowing them through his nose. He's crying. I said, wipe it up. You're eating every one of them. Every one of them. And so the kids are crying, shut up, shut up. He's going to eat this. And so finally he's dead. Can I be excused? Fine, put a lid on them. Soak them the next week. I don't care. But you're going to eat every one of them. And so we have two big glass doors on our dining area. And so I saw him in the kitchen. I see the reflection on the glass. He set that big bowl of cereal on the counter, opened up the refrigerator door, and it shut back. It's still sitting on the counter. What's he doing? And so I saw him take the top off the blender and pour all the cereal and that milk in that blender. Now I'm trying to look. What's he doing? He'd got the Hershey syrup out. And he... Put the lid on, turn that thing on. Poured it out and drank her down. I said, my God, I raised a genius. <laughs> Blessed are the problem solvers. They should be called the children of God. So I want them to grow up learning how to solve their own problem. Don't be a whiner and a complainer. You know, if you belong to a church, make the pastor smile when you come in. Oh, dear God, here they come. Because there's people like that in every church. Every church is kind of like, uh-oh, here they come. No, you want to say, man, you want to you come in and be a blessing, get there early, stay late, leave it better than you find it, volunteer to do something or half a dozen things. All my kids, I don't have a perfect child, ain't not, but they're all in church. They're all volunteering. They all pay their tithe. They teach. They greet. They do something. There's not a perfect one in the bunch, but they're Christian. I said, listen, you've got to stay in the body of Christ. This is the only thing living on this planet. We are what's alive today. We are the salt and light of planet Earth. The planet needs us. They don't like us. They judge us. They say bad things about us, but they need us. They just don't know they need us. Let's be a blessing, amen? Let's stand up. Everybody bow your head. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Lord, we appreciate the opportunity to be alive in the last days when your spirit is poured out without measure. I ask you, Father, put us in the belly button of your will. Don't put us on the side. Don't leave us behind. Put us in the middle of your will in the last days. We, for that, we say, thank you, Father. We want to be a part of what you're doing. Help us be a blessing to everybody we meet every day we get up. Let us honor you every day with our thanksgiving and our praise. And Father, we say today, and sort of a conclusive thing, Father, thank you for letting us be alive in the greatest day of human history. We're so appreciative in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed just for 60 seconds. Nobody moving for one short minute. Two questions. Are you here this morning? You said, Joe, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never, ever asked him into my heart. But I think God's been dealing with me. Well, if that's you, I would like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you out. 
I'm not going to call you forward, but in just a few minutes, I'm simply going to ask you to raise your hand, wave it at me, and put it right back down. I'm going to see it. God's going to see it. If you're willing to acknowledge you need a Savior, God in heaven will save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. It's that simple. Or perhaps you're here today and say, Joe, I'm saved, but I don't think I've been living for God lately. Well, if that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer out of Romans. We're going to pray with these other people, and God in heaven will forgive you every sin you've ever committed in a moment of time. He will take your sin as far as the east is from the west. He'll put it in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of your sin in heaven, and God will make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from it. It will never get easier than this. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, said, Joe, that's me. I need to make Jesus Lord of my life today. Or Joe, that's me. I want to rededicate my life. If that's you on either count right now, would you simply get your hand up, wave it at me, put it back down. Joe, pray for me. Thank you. 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 Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. I saw him back there. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, that one back there. I saw your hand. Anyone else? All right. Hands down, heads bowed, eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you that raised your hands, we're going to pray with you, and God's going to do the two greatest miracles he can do. He's going to save souls and forgive sins. So people, let's all help them pray. Everybody say this with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me, and you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, Come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you by faith with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Now, Father, for the hands that went up this morning, either for the first time ever or a simple reaffirmation of faith in you, according to your holy word and their obedience as of right now, they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord the devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You're their shepherd. They're going to hear your voice and the voice of a stranger that will not follow. We welcome both into the family and back into the fold. Lord, as they lead today, surround them with divine favor. May people get to look at them with these set of eyes. And Father, bring godly friends into their life that will strike iron and cause them to grow and become all you want them to be. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. give the Lord a hand clap. Would you like to keep growing in your faith? At Church on the Rock, we would love to help you. Maybe it's learning more about discovering what it means to join a church family, being part of a small group, or using your God-given gifts to serve others. Head over to cotr.org connect, where you can find out more to all of these. Or if you are part of our online community, visit us at cotr.org online. Have a great week and don't forget that God is for you.